Welcome to Genuine Life Recovery. We're here to help you and your loved ones overcome addictions and other addiction-related mental health challenges. In this show, we dive into the physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual aspects of addiction, mental health, recovery, family dynamics, codependency, and more. You can listen on your favorite app or at jodystevens.org. Genuine Life Recovery is made possible by great friends like Joshua's Heart in memory of Joshua Brent Moore, bringing hope, love, and awareness to those afflicted by addiction online at joshesheart.org and Jody Stevens Productions for commercial voiceover, narration, production, MC, and public speaking online at jodystevens.org. Welcome back, friends, and today we are talking about the role trauma plays in addiction. We're talking addiction recovery with trauma. We're also going to talk about God's power to heal us through it all. (laughs) And I'm joined by Mark McNear. He is a licensed clinical social worker. He has a private practice in New Jersey, 30 years of experience in clinical practice. And now he's really focused on helping people who have also had trauma and abuse and addictions in their lives, sharing the hope of healing that he's found in his own life. So we are going to hear some of his story too, Dr. McNear is also speaker, author, his new book, which I read, which is great, called Finding My Words, A Ruthless Commitment to Healing Gently After Trauma. You can find that on Amazon. So uh, Dr. McNear, welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jody. Absolutely. So you are in New Jersey. Yeah, I'm I'm about an hour from Manhattan. I'm in Uh Northwest Jersey. Okay. I can can hear the Jersey. Can you? (laughs) Yes, I can. I love it. I love it. People would always say to me, I'm from Alaska, they would say, you know, because I do media and stuff, they'd be like, yeah. tell her to lose the northern accent. And I'd be like, northern accent? Like, what's that? Like, can uh-huh. you hear like a, a northern accent in me? No, but I'm not, I'm not sure I would okay. because I'm so used to it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a mishmash. Yeah. Yeah. Where definitely. you're from. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Tell me, so you're, as a social worker, this is interesting, what types of clients do you see? Do you do individual you know, clients? You know, I, I basically work um, with individuals. I, I, since mm-hmm. since I went to rehab myself, I ha- yeah, have been yeah. working with a lot of people who have had trauma and abuse mm-hmm. and, and, and as a result, addiction. Um, yeah. I see some couples okay. and I, I, I see individuals mostly though. Wow. Okay. That's good. You probably get that question a lot. Like yeah, what's the difference yeah. between a social worker and a psychologist yeah, and a psychiatrist yeah. and, and, you know, things like that. So, wow. Okay. Well, I want to hear your story, but the first thing I want to do is talk to you just a little bit about the effects of unresolved trauma, sure, particularly maybe in kids, like on our, our bodies and our brains. Because I remember when I was a kid, like I had an anxiety disorder mm. and things like that for various reasons. I didn't figure it out till I was about my age looking back i'm like oh my but they you know because i was diagnosed like dyslexic it was just like oh she's just blanking out she's stupid i think Mm -hmm. we don't maybe we're better at it now but i don't think we recognize these things in uh in children no no so so with kids a lot of times you see a a lot of uh dysregulated mood you see Mm -hmm. a lot of issues with mood uh with with anxiety and depression and anger, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of times you see kids that are acting out. Either, you know, I'd say Jody, either one extent or the other, either they're really inhibited yeah. and don't say a word, 
or or they're they're acting out all over the place in, in the classroom and at home. Um, sometimes sleeping issues, mm -hmm. you'll see. Uh, the one that you highlighted with learning uh, difficulties. You know, a lot of kids, um, and there's been a lot of research that's been done with that now, a lot of kids that are diagnosed with ADHD actually mm -hmm. have a, the, the uh, high activity level and the low ability to concentrate, things like that, really have their roots in trauma. And so there wow. needs, to be a, needs to be a good diagnosis done. The field is, is really looking into that now. Mm, yeah, it probably just really depends on your personality. You know, if you're one of those mm -hmm. out people, as they say, or mm -hmm. the in people, which, yeah. which I was. So I just was really quiet, kept everything to myself, you know, that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. I did <laughs> the too, one most likely up, to grow up codependent. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and, and, and that's another one you see. And, and it's usually really polarized where, Jody, you see people who are really independent, yeah. Or people yeah. who, you know, don't want to rely on anyone for anything or people that are overly dependent or codependent on, on, on individuals. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, when you come out of trauma, you're either going to be very hyper-vigilant, hyper right, if yeah. you're that type of person, yeah. where it's like, can't trust anybody, got to take care of everything myself, mm. which it sounds like it's kind of how, how, how you were, or we never learn to make decisions so we just let people make them for us yeah right? and, I mean, and, and it's probably and, the, the extremes right you always just yeah. see the extreme i mean we're all a mix of both but right sometimes you get these extremes right in recovery yeah and it's it's hard to pigeonhole but 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 that's yeah. a really good way to put it the, the extremes and you know i have found in my own life things like a dysregulated mood you know, yeah. it is really, really something that I struggle with. Another thing I struggle with is flashbacks, a lot of flashbacks mm. from the scenes from childhood and, sure. and, and also um, nightmares. I'll have quite a few nightmares and, you know, they'll be pretty easy to uh, kind of trace back to where they came from, yeah. but they're still yeah. very disturbing, you mm -hmm. know. So, so I think those are, are some of the key things that I struggle with, you know, mm -hmm. a codependency also. That's a big one for me. Do you still have the nightmares and things yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh I'm gosh. about, you know, in recovery now for about eight and a half years, and I still have them. Yeah. 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 So you're you're a therapist, but probably also have to see do a certain amount of therapy because that sounds like PTSD. Yeah. Yeah. You know, for the like, post-traumatic stress. That's yeah, I actually back. I actually was diagnosed with complex trauma or complex PTSD. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so yeah, I'm gosh. still in, in treatment for it. Definitely. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, talk to me about how it all began, kind of your story. <laughs> I usually like to give people a few minutes <laughs> before we dive into it. Welcome, yeah. Dr. McNair. Tell us about your story of abuse. You know, uh, we don't yeah. mean to make light of it, but, no, you know, no, no, I understand. Um, there was abuse, there was trauma, mm -hmm. and then, you know, often, often it leads to addiction. We don't, I don't propose on this program that it's always that, mm -hmm. but generally there's an underlying issue. So, um, so yeah, so I like to kind of hear what it was like for you growing up and then what yeah, that was, abuse and trauma led to. I, I did um, poorly as a student. Um, mm -hmm. That was one thing that happened. I, I think that I was always kind of lacking concentration. And w I would mm -hmm. have been one of those kids that would have definitely been diagnosed with ADHD. And in fact, later uh -huh. on in my life, at around uh, 27, 28, I was diagnosed. And I don't think it was an accurate diagnosis, but I was diagnosed with ADHD. Okay. Um, okay. The, the home that I grew up in was a very strange home. 
there was um, a lot of things that went on and a lot of traumas that just one thing happened after another. And, and one of the yeah. one of the things I talk about in the book, um, when I'm sitting in rehab, you know, and, and the medication is coming out of my system. And as mm. the medication is coming out of my system, the memories are coming back, you know, just yeah. one right after another. And I'm just sit, sitting in rehab trying to act normal as, as they were just bombarding <laughs> me, you know, wow. and it was not mm. easy. Um, you know, I talk yeah. about the fact that when I was uh, approximately four years old, my dad, uh, we were at the dinner table and my dad force fed me carrots and mm. I ended up uh, vomiting on the table and my dad became very irate and picked me up and threw me in the garbage and said, you know, stay there, you're a piece of garbage, that's where you belong. And from there, um, you know, sitting in rehab, all these memories of sexual yeah. abuse came out and, mm. you know, just remembering the horrific things that happened during that, that period of time. And that was mm -hmm. um, from around uh, four years of age till about seven. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as, as I've learned my story, I've, I've kind of figured out some of the timelines. And I think the the sexual abuse stopped and that was traumatic that it stopped because I got attention from my dad. I got affirmation from my dad, you know, but but I think that that stopped as a result of uh, armed robbery that we had in our home where uh, four men came in with guns. Two of the guys went downstairs with my mom and dad and two of them stayed upstairs with us. We never woke up during the robbery, mm -hmm. but really that turned the house upside down, you know, the next day. The house I can remember the house was filled uh, the house was filled with with policemen and mm. I can remember people looking at the front page and we were on the front page of the news you know that there had been armed robbery in this small town um, Wow as a, as a result of that my, my mom became an alcoholic and oh. uh, suffered her own trauma uh, and mm. and um, my dad became very very paranoid and really mm -hmm. struggled a lot and was just I can remember him just being so obsessed with wanting to catch the people who did it you know and then on you know on top of all of this and here you are just like nobody probably talks about it yeah and I mean, unless it's just drama llama or something so well, you're just, it was talked you're... about around us you know everybody right was but talking not about like it. how you doing Mark how yeah. are you like nothing yeah yeah, yeah. And, and and so um, Jody, we, uh, and I write this in the book, they took the, the individuals that came and robbed us, took personal paperwork. And mm -hmm. so we weren't allowed to go to school because they had all of our IDs and, and all of our, oh, you know, personal information. So that was scary too. You know, I didn't know exactly why we couldn't go to school, but I knew mm -hmm. that it was dangerous and that we couldn't go to school. And so wow. from there, you know, I talk about in the book just how... You know different things would come about in our family and and i and i i uh, wrote a lot of things down but not everything down you know that there was just yeah. so much trauma throughout yeah. um throughout my childhood i um ended up getting in a really serious car accident when i was 19 oh, years geez. old and mm -hmm. so got hit head on on new year's eve and the driver that had hit me hit me head on he he was uh intoxicated Mm. And so I ended up in the hospital and, and um, broke my femur, my right femur, and, and, and had pulmonary embolism and almost died. So all of these wow. things were going on. And then, and then um, the, the bright spot of that is that I got out of uh, the hospital. And I was kind of like at 19 years old, like, there's got to be more than this. Mm. 
And so I started searching Mm -hmm. and I um, found a book by Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking. And and in that book, he talked about um, getting a Bible and underlining passages in the Bible. And Mm. and I started doing that. And then I uh, also, it said in the book to go to church, to find a church. And so I found a church Uh to attend. And um, I can remember I went on a a Saturday night. It was a a special, special uh, meeting. And uh, they had a guest speaker. And the preachers spoke on going the second mile. And so I didn't know quite what I was doing, but I was, you know, the, the preacher gave a, an invitation. And, and so I went forward and accepted Christ mm-hmm. as my personal Lord and Savior. Nice. And so, yeah, so, you know, I see in my life, one, one pattern that I see is a lot of times there's really dark moments, really yeah. tragic moments, but out of it comes wonderful things. And, and that's mm-hmm. kind of why I wrote the book, because all of this trauma and and all of these things going on. And so, you know, I wanted to see, you know, I felt, I thought God was done with me. You know, oh. I, I just thought he was finished. Yeah. And that was not the case at all. And wow. so he showed up in big ways in my recovery and, mm-hmm. and just really uh, miraculous ways. That's what I would say, just miraculous ways. That, that's beautiful because, and I always say, you know, God sees the little child. God sees the pain that, that opened up the addiction. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, he's, he's been around since he's always been around. Yeah. So yeah. we always think, well, he wouldn't really understand. He's done with me. He doesn't get it. And it's like, mm, no, I think, you know, yeah. but we, we do, we think like he's mad at us, Yeah. but then yeah. he sees the child crying in their room, the child yeah. stuffing their emotions, the child yeah. now turning to addiction because they feel unloved or they don't even feel, or they, you know what I mean? Um, and, and God knows that, you know, mm-hmm. and, and he just lovingly wants to restore us. And I'm sure that, so here you're 19, you, you fall into addiction, you're going mm-hmm. through this for another 20, 30 years, whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, God's probably by your side. Yeah. He's with you back, the whole time, you, you know, know? Yeah. I, I think looking back, it's really mm-hmm. easy to see when you're in the middle of it. It's not easy to see, but looking yeah, back. So, yeah. so it was actually, you know, I accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior at 19 and then mm-hmm. felt um, like I wanted to go into ministry. And so I signed mm-hmm. up for Bible college and again, didn't know what I was doing, but, but signed up for Bible college and, you know, started Bible college and then started having a lot of anxiety. Uh-huh. And so I went to a counselor and she was really, really helpful. And so that kind of turned, you know, I didn't know, I, I studied to be a pastor and then decided mm-hmm. that I wanted to go to be a counselor. And mm-hmm. so um, changed my track at, at uh, Bible college and stayed an extra year to have a minor in psychology. And so then um, went on to NYU to get my uh, master's in social work. And it was during that time that I went to a psychiatrist because I was struggling so much emotionally. Mm-hmm. And he put me on medications. You know, he put me on something for depression. He put me on something for anxiety. And he put me on something for ADHD. Mm-hmm. And, you know, taking the medications, <laughs> it was wonderful because I felt calm, like for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, the problem, of course, is that I needed more and more to reach that same level of calm. So um, through the years, I just took more and more medication to get their same results. Mm. 
Was it um, Xanax? Was he giving you like Xanax or, or gave, opiates he, or something like yeah, that? Yeah, he gave me benzodiazepines and then also gave, which would have been like a Xanax, and then also mm-hmm. I was given a stimulant for the ADHD. Oh, okay. And okay. then also an antidepressant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. And so um, you were using those for how many years? Oh, um, about 30 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so wow. I... I um, it was in 2015 I called my psychiatrist and asked her for referrals and it became really clear to her really quickly that, that I was abusing the medication and so she recommended that I go to rehab, you know, not mm-hmm. something that I was wow. looking forward to doing at that time. And and so um, I told her that I would and so then I talked to my wife and Debbie was wonderful with it and, and just so accepting of where I was at and then had to get in touch with my daughter. And Emily was in um, Florida at the time. So I had to get in touch with Emily. She was also really wonderful with it. So within a couple of days, I was off to rehab at 55 years of age. Wow, wow. And and how long have you been sober today? It is uh, eight, and a half year, eight and a half years, yeah. Yay! Yeah, yeah, you thank you. You are a yeah. miracle. Wow, okay, so. You're in rehab and you've, sounds like you were a very functional addict, mm-hmm. um, very professional, very, um, probably made pretty good money, very successful dealing, helping people deal with their trauma mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. haven't even dealt with your own. So no, this is, this yeah. is interesting, you know, especially in, and I have an MS and addiction counseling and it's, okay. they're very like, you know, uh, be introspective, you know, all, all those mm-hmm. sorts of things they tell you to do. Were you, were you in denial? Were you just like, I just don't want to deal with it? Like, what was that process you for know, you? I think, what was going on? You know, I think on some level, I think I was, I felt like I was beyond repair. I, I, I knew about Aww. some of the trauma that had happened yeah. and some of it I vowed I would never talk about, mm. you know, some of the sexual abuse and what happened during that time. And so I think that, you know, I, I felt like counseling was really important and I participated in, in counseling at different times, but I really do think I got okay. to the point where I just felt like, you know what, I'll just medicate the problems. And I didn't even know on a certain level, I didn't even know I was doing it. Mm, yeah, yeah. So there was wow. there was quite a bit of denial, and so, you know, I, I think there it was a relief when the doctor said go to rehab. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was terrifying, but it was also a relief that somebody saw the pain that yeah. I was in. Well, and and you know, it does kind of make sense because you're pretty much you know if you've got like PTSD and stuff, that's you could compartmentalize that, and and it's you know from when I read your book, it sounded like anytime you tried to stand up for yourself or say anything, it was like you're stupid, you're no good, what's wrong with you? So you just kind of you you use stuff at an age that you know by the time you're older, you don't even remember right, right. half this stuff. You don't right. even you're you're what do they call you would know as a therapist, you're kind of, you're walking around in, in a, in a fog almost, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. and of, I, think, of, I think my dad was good at convincing me that it actually was my fault. Like that oh, I was yeah. just, mm-hmm. there was such, such a problem with me or, or that I had such a problem. And so, you know, as, as I've been able to walk through recovery, I can see, you know, just how traumatized he was with mm, the things that yeah. he did to me or the things that he said to me. You know, I think that 
you know, Jody, I was always good at coming up with a way to kind of feel better about myself. So, yeah. you know, I had gone for my bachelor's and then I went for a master's and I went for a second master's and then I went for my doctorate, you know, and I'm sitting in rehab. And in the first few weeks, I'm thinking like, maybe I'll go for, you know, a degree in addiction. You know, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'll, you know, as if that's what I needed. And really what I, I needed was to get to know my story mm-hmm. and get to learn, yeah. you know, kind of yeah. how that impacted me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and just to be able to, and I'm still in the middle of it, you know, learning yeah. parts of my story and also grieving, you know, learning to grieve. Yeah. It's such a lifelong process. I mean, I've been sober 18 years and mm. I'm still like learning things or I'll come back to a dream that maybe I've had like two dreams that I feel were really from the Lord. And mm-hmm. one was 20 years ago and mm. still I'm still learning stuff from that. It's so interesting. It's yeah. just uh, yeah, that definitely. whole sanctification. The yeah. It's a lifelong process of recovery. When and it, when we're in heaven, we're there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. One you of know? the verses I love is... Um, Paul writes in Philippians, be confident of this very thing that he who has begun a good work in you, yeah. he will continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. But, you know, yeah. you're, you're absolutely right. It's that it's that journey of sanctification, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. each day, each day, one step at a time. Yeah, absolutely. And for those that are listening, it, it, it is very frustrating because, you know, initially when you first get saved or find the Lord, you don't understand that. Like y- your salvation is instant but the process of becoming like Christ is lifelong. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to beat yourself up. It's mm-hmm. progress, yeah. not perfection. Yeah. And that's why the steps are so related to the Bible. You go, wow, that's biblical because they're taken from the Bible, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. What was recovery like for you? What are some nuggets of truth or just, are there like one or two um memories or things that just really jarred you or resonated with you? I think, you know, one thing more than that, but yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think the serenity prayer really grabbed a hold of me. I'd probably heard it a million times before, but to be in rehab and to be reciting it with other guys and to really be taking it to heart and looking at, you know, how, how really broken I was in, in, in so many areas and realizing that I needed to figure out the things that, you know, I could take on and then the things that, you know, I didn't have the wisdom for and the things that I needed to just lean on God and, and to, you know, be able to know the difference between those. And I'm still working on that daily. You know, it's not something that I've arrived at. The other thing, Jody, I think that has become really big for me that I put in the book is that the past is not the past when it shows up in the present. You know, mm. that uh, trauma tends to haunt you or come up, you know. And yeah. so my body is definitely trying to protect itself mm-hmm. from things that it went through earlier in my life. You know, um, but that, you know, today in 2023, memories of things come up in my body. I feel it in my body. I feel it throughout yeah. my whole body. Mm. Wow. You know, I'll give you I'll give you an illustration of that when 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 I was growing up, when my dad would come home, okay, uh, from work, the garage door would go up. We had electric garage doors, and so the garage door would go up, and I would like just tighten. My heart would start mm-hmm. beating. Yeah, you know, would start racing. I'd be afraid, you know, of what would happen. Fast forward, my wife and I, Debbie, uh, buy a house. And it has electric garage doors. And, you know, Debbie comes home. 
you know, this is when we were first married. Debbie comes home from work. She teaches, and the garage door goes up, and my heart begins to pound, and I, I mm. have this feeling of dread. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and then I, yeah. I have feelings of shame and I have feelings of guilt. Like, why should I be feeling this way mm-hmm. about my wife mm-hmm. coming home? Mm. You, know? you know, that's that's interesting. And, and I guess you would call those like triggers that yeah. we have. Yeah. And I had a lot of that, too. When people would scream or yell or fight or throw things, I'd get this fight flight mm-hmm. reaction. And, and I think, too, with the addiction, we're you know when you start self-medicating you don't even understand that you're self-medicating a lot of those triggers and so yeah yeah removing all the alcohol and then understanding like what's happening and i I don't know if this helped for you for me i do a lot of you know i had a fear of like male authority figures and you know all these sorts Mm -hmm. of things and and I'm just really having to consciously, you know, grieve the process, right? So when it happens, right, grieve it, know what it is. Like one time I just cried all night, even though I knew it wasn't real. Yeah, and then yeah. from there, just going, okay, this was real mm-hmm. then when I was five, but it's not real now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, have you yeah. found a solution to work through those triggers? Because, you know, right, I, if you don't get them and work through them, you repeat that's them. what's yeah. rooted in the addiction. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, that's yeah. what makes you want to, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's the dysregulation. You know, somebody had once yeah. said to me, um, good recovery from trauma involves having two, like, circles on the floor, two hula hoops on the floor, and having your right foot in one and your left foot in the other. You know, the left foot being the past and the right foot being the present. And being able mm-hmm. to toggle, like you said, back and forth, and to yes. say, absolutely, yeah. this was true, but it's not true now, and to bring, you know, Jody, bring a lot of self-compassion, you know mm-hmm. that, you know, we have been through a lot, and so our body is reacting the way it should, from mm-hmm. what we've been through. Wow. You know, and yeah. so, I I think that, and also a lot of self-care for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other thing, talk to me a little bit about the, how trauma changes your brain. I mean, you, we don't have to get into neurology or anything, but, you know, you mm-hmm. think about, like, when we're little, our brains are forming. They're not even done forming mm-hmm. till we're, yeah. like, 18. D- and like we've I, learned I, all these dysfunctional trauma yeah. stuff. And yeah. so a lot of times it's well why can't you just fix it just stop drinking get better and it's like you have to actually rewire a lot of that stuff and it just takes a lot of time talking to safe people i always say you have to have positive input coming into your eyes and your mind and your brain and your ears to to rewire all those neurotransmitters because that was all formed when you were little i mean and so of course we're going to have these reactions you know yeah, I, I think about Romans chapter 12, you know, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's yeah, part of the process yeah. is, you know, realizing that the brain and the limbic part of the brain has been so sensitized toward danger, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and it's always scanning, yeah. you know, God gave us that so that we mm-hmm. would be protected. And so it's always scanning and looking for danger. And it yeah. seems like the research says that for people who have had more trauma, it is even more hypervigilant, you know, and looking for and trying to yeah. protect the yeah. individual. So what I've learned, mm-hmm. like in, in my recovery, is I need to calm my body down in order for my mind to yeah. be calm. You know, <laughs> you know and, and so 
I have to, you know, step into a lot of self-care and a lot of exercises and stuff like that to help bring my body to a point where, where it's more regulated. Isn't that interesting how so often we have to do do the body first, you yes. know? Yeah. It's taken me I'm I'm 51 years old. I had the worst type of um insomnia like I'd be mm. up for 3 days things like that. There's this military technique where you tighten and release mm-hmm. the muscles and yeah. I'm just now learning how tight I am. So now every night I I conscious like and even throughout the day I I think about you know am I doing this again, yeah. you know, this tightening up. And, you know, it's not perfect, but it's helped me fall asleep so much, so much quicker. And I realized for my whole life, I've, I've been walking around in that constant state of anxiety, which yeah. then led to panic attacks. But I never even knew it was happening in my shoulders and back and stuff like that. Yeah, you know? the, it shows up in the body. It definitely mm-hmm. shows up. The, you know, trauma shows up in the body. That hypervigilance that we get or that obsessive thinking that we have, all of that is all connected. Wow. That's crazy. So talk to me a little bit about the family dynamics. Are you into that sort of like the rules in the family? I I think that, Um, um, you know, there were three children in my family. Mm -hmm. Um, My oldest brother was the hero. He was the one that was put up on a pedestal. Um, My sister was pretty much the ignored one. The Mm -hmm. one that was the lost child. Yeah, the lost child. Yeah. And, yeah. and for then, those of for those of you, let me just interrupt real quick. For sure. those of you that are like, what are they talking about? So, I think in every family we adopt roles. In addicted families, in abusive families, it's kind of rigid. There's these sort of rigid roles, mm-hmm. and they're not really based on authenticity, right? They're kind of based on survival. And in families with severe addiction and codependency, they've found certain roles like the hero, the lost child. That was kind of me. Mm. My brother who died of his addiction, sadly, he was he was like Robin Williams, like the mascot, like so mm. funny. Mm-hmm. But the one that could see all the BS, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so they kind of have developed these roles. Right. And and I, I you know, we can inter we can play the roles interchangeably and some people in the therapeutic world believe in it. Some think it's hogwash for me. I've seen it and I believe it. And it sounds like you, you subscribe to that too. So anyway, carry on with what you were saying. (laughs) So, so, so my brother was definitely the hero of the family. Uh You know, he was named after my dad and, and put on a pedestal and that had its consequences. Definitely. So, you know, all the roles, you know, just for listeners to hear all the roles that are there all of them have a price to pay you mm-hmm. know and yeah. so my brother was the hero my sister I see her as being the lost one or the forgotten mm-hmm. one and mm-hmm. then I was the one that joked around a lot but also the scapegoat the one that everything was dumped yeah. on you know mm-hmm. and 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 so um yeah you know going through recovery and seeing this and and you know um just seeing how it played in my family and how it didn't work you know it was so dysfunctional but how how it you know each member of the family was dependent on the other uh, member of the family to do their thing so that this dysfunctional family could you know coexist yeah and they call that what they call it as like as as, and you know this doctor is like homeostasis and what that what that means is like the images of the kaleidoscope and then if one Mm -hmm. piece moves it disrupts everything and so a lot of times you see people come in 
with addiction and they're mm-hmm. the ones that are trying to break out of the dynamic and yeah. we see that sometimes their family sadly is the one holding them back because they want to keep the dysfunction going because everybody plays their role and mm-hmm. it serves their role if mm-hmm. you're the if you're the codependent mom you kind of get this control of you know manipulating people mm-hmm. and places and things and you know so so there's a there's something we get out of it but it's also you know like what happens at home you know stays at home yeah. and you know don't talk don't feel and so we play these roles to keep things balanced yeah right yeah. dad's if he's coming home he's going to be drunk got to walk on eggshells don't mm-hmm. do this don't do that so then we learn all these terrible coping strategies right and then we get up grow up and get into the real world and we're like oh (laughs) it's not working very well right yeah Yeah, absolutely (laughs) wow so you came to the lord at 19 Mm -hmm. now through your recovery did your relationship with the lord change kind of what happened through that and what is he been working with you on through I, you know from 19 I, and then I you see, were 55 yeah Jody I, I see that he uh, stepped in in a big way you know mm-hmm. from the time that I went to rehab and you know just showed up with so much grace and so much mercy and so much love and, and um, didn't see it right off the bat you know because yeah. I was in so much pain but looking back at it now you know I have such a different relationship with him and I would Mm -hmm. say much more genuine where I can talk to him about anything you know whereas I think that when I first got saved it was kind of like no this is the right way to do it this is the right way you know to pray this is the right way and 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 even you know in interacting with the word of God it's been become really different for me you know I, Mm -hmm. I really struggle with concentration due to the trauma and so just finding yeah, yeah. creative ways to be able to interact with his word has been really, really good for me. Mm. And what are some, you know, we were talking about just um, relaxation stuff, maybe mindfulness. What are some things that you do on a daily basis to to regulate not just the physical, but the, the mental and emotional mm-hmm. um, yeah. impact uh, of trauma and the PTSD? I um, try to journal. Every day, mm-hmm. I try to color, you know, pretty frequently. Do mindfulness coloring, uh, doing yeah, exercises, yeah. you know, as far as exercise physically or walking. Mm-hmm. I find that walking is really helpful for me. So at least, I at yeah. least try to walk one hour a day. Yeah, uh, a lot of friends, you know, speaking with friends, getting outside also like with walking is really really helpful for me. Doing body scans. You know, where I'll mm. start at the top of my head and scan through my body and just notice where the tension is, mm. is really, really helpful. Playing with putty, you know, <laughs> uh, oh. putty putty yeah. is really great. They, um, they have a, a type of putty, it's Aaron's putty on, on Amazon, and you can find it in the stores too. And it's just like, it's kind of like silly putty, but it but more of it. And so yeah. I have found that that's really helpful to begin to relax, to, to do that. Uh, church is really helpful for me being able to go to church, Um, just beefing up self-care, you know, Uh, drinking a lot of water every day, Mm -hmm. you know, just things that, like learning, because there's been so much harm to my body, like bringing kindness, and and that's one of my verses that I absolutely love in scriptures, uh, Romans 2, 4, 
it is the kindness of God that leads to change or it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Mm -hmm. And so that was my whole idea with recovery is, you know, to be relentless at being gentle. Mm -hmm. Wow. I love that. I Mm. love that. There's, there's a part that we play, but God is there so lovingly, you know, just guiding us along. Yeah. I love that about the Lord. I know when I was in the midst of, you know, I found the Lord and then continued drinking for mm-hmm. five years, mm-hmm. but he was still there. You know, he was still there in the midst of it, just gently waiting for me to to want to get well, which is yeah. one of the scriptures that you also mentioned, which isn't is it's not as sweet as some of the scriptures. But I love this one. And I think in mm-hmm. recovery, we we look at it in a different way. Those of us that have been through recovery, you know, where in John 5, 6, where Jesus says to the the guy at the the pool of Bethesda, I think, mm-hmm. right? And, yes. and he's, yeah. he says, do you, do, do you, do you want to get well? Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, it's such a, it's such a beautiful story because he's, he's wooing him in, he's giving him the choice, but he's mm-hmm. also kind of recognizing that, that bone of self-pity, you yeah, know, that's like, sure. well, somebody else is, in, nah, 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 you mm-hmm. know, which that was, that was the thing for me was the pity. Oh, so when I read that, I just, I laughed. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I read it the the way, I don't know, I think the way it was meant to be read. A lot of people are like, really? And I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's, you know, that's Jesus calling him out, you know? Yeah, yeah. And yet in such a kind way, you know, I, yes. I have found in my journey of, of recovery, God has been so kind to me and, yeah. and showing up yeah. and just providing, you know, the right type of counseling at the right time. You yeah. know, I've yeah. continued to be in counseling and to continue to work on the trauma mm-hmm. that I've uh, experienced or the complex trauma, but just how kind he's been in providing things yeah. for me all along the way. Yeah, yeah. For those of you that don't know, in that scripture, the man is by this these healing waters, and he's been there 38 years, and he asks Jesus, you know, Jesus asks him if he wants to get well, and he, he kind of gives these excuses like, for 38 years, every time I try to go down there, someone else comes yeah. in front of me, and, and so he's kind of just making excuses, mm-hmm. so then the Lord just basically says, do you want to get well, (laughs) you know, which causes him to think, you know, and so anyway, I, I, Mm. I love that. I love that. That's, it's, it's so good. Um, what would you say to people, uh, Dr. McNear, who are angry at God, maybe for the trauma, the abuse that they've suffered? I I would say I've been there. (laughs) I know Mm -hmm. what that's like. And, you know, it's not something that surprises the Lord. Yeah. And you don't have to feel shamed or guilty about that. You know, yeah. you, you just have to start working on the process of healing, you know. And, and part of that is just having people that you can talk to about the pain that you've experienced. And, you know, being able to, and, and I talked about this the other day in a podcast, I don't see forgiveness being like a photograph, like one, one, one picture and that's it. You know, it's right. more like a movie. You know, and it progresses. And there's times when I feel it again in my body where it comes up and I can feel the anger toward my dad or I can feel the anger toward my mom. Yeah. And I just have to go back to the tools that I've been given, you know, to kind of work through and, and to, to reach toward, you know, uh, 
maybe a further forgiveness, a fuller fuller forgiveness for my mom and dad. But it's not easy. I don't want people to, to hear it and think like I'm saying, you know, it's one step and that's it. No, it, it, it is a process. It's not a procedure. Yeah, and it definitely sometimes feels like two steps forward, one step back. And, yeah. you know, I've, I find days where I'm just like, Lord why won't you take this? Like, mm. why, why won't you fix this? You know, yeah. for me, it's always the insomnia, but, um, you know, so often, and I know for my husband, it was like, well, you, cause he's been sober, uh, mm. 21 years. And mm -hmm. it was just like, well, why can't you just quit? You know, why isn't mm -hmm. Jesus enough? And, you know, a lot of times the church just does that and mm -hmm. they don't really mean harm. They just don't understand. Not right, all the time. And, and I love Dr. Henry Cloud said something. He said something about how occasionally someone could be, you know, God could heal someone from years and years of trauma. But he said mm -hmm. it's just very rare. It just doesn't happen that yeah. way. Um, does that mean God couldn't? It doesn't, but you know the Bible says all of creation is groaning under the under the yeah. sin. So, yeah. so that's our our mind, our body, our neurons, our brains, mm -hmm. and so it, it is. It's this lifelong process, mm -hmm. and I think we need to. It, it's helpful to understand that because other, otherwise, a lot of times you can go into the church and feel shamed. Like mm -hmm. I went to AA before church because I'm like, well, I gotta clean myself up. <laughs> Before yeah. I go into church, because you know, and, you know, you get you, you know, Jesus is supposed to be enough to fix it all, and you know, <laughs> there's and, and there's so many now there, and I agree with you 100%. There's so many good ministries and, and people like Dr. Cloud and, and others, yes, that are coming out and saying, you know what, it's it's not that easy, it it, it takes time, yeah. you know, you didn't get there overnight, and you're not going to be healed overnight, it takes time, right, right. But we know that God is walking along with us. Did, tr did the trauma impact your relationship with the Lord? I think so. Yeah. Now, I um, I don't think it does as much, but I definitely mm -hmm. think that my my trauma uh, caused me to be very performance oriented. You know that I yeah. got to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this, and yeah. if I do all of that, then I'll be accepted <laughs> by Him. And you know, I got to rehab. Become and, a Mormon, and <laughs> right? yeah, that's it, what you were doing. <laughs> yeah, it was like no. you know, if I do this right, and if I do that right, and if I do this right, he'll yeah, accept yeah. me. And that's not the gospel. Oh. That's not the good news. No. The good news is, you know, every day I fail, and every day yeah. he's there, with grace and mercy and love and and, yeah. and just acceptance. Yeah. You know, it's that I can't do it. That's the gospel, but that he does do it. Right, right. Isn't it interesting that we get into all this performance and then we're reminded, oh, wait, I can't do it. The Bible yeah. says I can't do it. Yeah. You know, yeah. I always say step one, instead of admitting we were powerless over alcohol or addiction, our lives had become unmanageable. I say admitted we were powerless over sin, yeah. that our lives had become unmanageable because then that that's everybody. There is no stigma like that's yeah. everybody. You know, mm -hmm. yeah. Well, um, thank you so much for being here. Talk to me just about your book, um, who you wrote it for, how we can get into contact with you, uh, and all those sorts of things. Sure, I'd be glad to. So, so the book is Finding My Words: A Ruthless Commitment to Healing Gently After Trauma. People can pick that up on Amazon if they're interested in it. the The book actually has three parts to it. The uh -huh. first book, you know, the the um, 
title of the book, Finding My Words, the first part of the book is Finding My Words, and then the second part of the book is Speaking My Words, and then the third part of the book is Embracing My Words. And so I wrote it for people who, who are struggling with addiction, I wrote it for people who are struggling with trauma, and I wrote it for people who are married to people or who are around people who are struggling with those things, you know, that they could have a kind of an inside look at what my journey was like and is like. And um, if people want to get in touch with me, they can go on uh, Google and just type in markmcnear.com, M-A-R-K-M-C-N-E-A-R.com. And my website, there's a, a place there where they can email me, and I'll be glad to get back to them. Okay, awesome. Mark, thank you for writing the book. I, I really enjoyed it, and I just love how you openly share all the things that you went through in the healing process. Definitely get the book. It's only like, I don't know, I think it was $7 or something. I mean, it's super affordable and very much worth the read, so be sure and um, go to his website. Check out the book. It's awesome. Mark, uh, Dr. McNear, thank you so much for Jenny, being here. Thank you. thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, friends, for listening to Genuine Life Recovery, playing on your favorite app or on my website at jodystevens.org. It's J-O-D-I-E-S-T-E-V-E-N-S, jodystevens.org. There you can check out my podcast, blog, recovery coaching info, speaking, and more. Check it out.